Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, organized sports get much of the attention, but that's not the only source of concussions. We have what you need to know as we all become more active again in the warmer weather. Also this morning, March is Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month, raising understanding and acceptance to take the fear out of the words developmental disabilities. And it's time to come out of hibernation and get outdoors again with April programs and activities in the parks. Michelle Rumschlag from the Hancock Park District will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. Today is Doctor's Day, so big salute to all of the doctors uh, out there. And um, also, today is Virtual Vacation Day. It is World Bipolar Day, Pencil Day, Take a Walk in the Park Day. I am in control day today. I am in control. It is Turkey Neck Soup Day. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you, if I'm in control, I'm not having turkey neck soup today. No, thank you. And it is the grass is always browner on the other side of the fence day. (laughs) Basically, the idea is not to envy your neighbors and uh, think that the grass is always greener because, in fact, the grass is always browner. The other side of the fence day. So, reasons to celebrate today, the observances, and so on for this uh, 30th day of March. So, uh, Chris Wallace made uh, some interesting uh, headlines uh, the other day. Um, Got some people talking about this. Uh, He suggested on Monday that one of the reasons why people today don't trust the news media uh, is because of his dad. Now, Chris Wallace, you know, is the son of legendary broadcast journalist Mike Wallace, um, who was uh, part of the 60 Minutes team on CBS for 40 years. Um, So Chris Wallace, who recently left Fox News after uh, nearly two two decades at that network himself, and has now joined uh, CNN's new streaming service, CNN Plus. Uh, he was uh, asked uh, on the uh, he was on the Late Show with uh, Stephen Colbert, and he was asked about the state, uh, the current state of news media and Americans' distrust in it. And he responded by saying, "In a funny way, I blame my father for this." Mike Wallace in sixty minutes. He said it used to be in the old days that news did not make money. It was a public service, and the networks viewed it as a public service. And then 60 Minutes came along and showed showed that you could make phenomenal amounts of money with the news business. And uh, he went on to suggest that when it comes to news, particularly on cable, they are, quote, chasing audiences, looking for ratings and to make money. And he said he believes that needs to change in order to improve news and restore people's trust in it. He said, if people just accepted we're not trying to make money off this, we're trying to perform a public service, we would have better news. Now, Chris Wallace is not the first person to suggest this. Um, There are a lot of experts in the history of mass media who have said basically the same thing, but I'm not sure that... 60 Minutes is necessarily where it started. Uh, it may have started 60 Minutes. I mean, 60 Minutes was a uh, a news program that generated advertising revenue. And he's absolutely right that in the early days of uh, broadcast uh, television, and even broadcast radio, news was seen as a public service, something you did as an obligation to the community that you served, or in the network's case, an obligation to the country that you served. But uh, I think it was more uh, CNN, actually, and the cable news networks that went on the air with round-the-clock 24-hour news channels that actually did more of this because that was all they had to make money. 
and they had a lot of time to fill. And when you're trying to fill 24 hours uh, of news, that's I, I don't think he's wrong. I'm not sure that uh, 60 minutes was the uh, start of it, but that's uh, that's what he said. It was kind of it raised some eyebrows because, of course, he was uh, basically uh, throwing his dad under the bus. So it's kind of interesting. So uh, here are some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day today. Everybody's still buzzing about what happened at the Academy Awards. Did you hear? I don't want to talk about that. I really don't. Um, there have been so much discussed about the brouhaha at the Oscars on Sunday night. But did you see this? The Academy Awards uh, gives an impressive collection of goodies to all of the nominees. These gift bags that the uh, nominees get. And 2022 was no exception. Nominees received, among other things, a three-night stay in a Scottish castle, a small plot of land in Scotland, a $12,000 liposuction procedure from Dr. Thomas Sue, uh, there in Hollywood, I believe, $25,000 in home renovations, and some popcorn. <laughs> that was that was what was in the goodie bag. And that's not the whole of it. That was just some of the uh, most interesting um, items that were in the Oscars goodie bags this year. Now, they don't come from the Academy directly. Uh, it's uh, sponsors. And there's a there's an organization that puts together the goodie bags and then gives them to the nominees outside of the Academy. But uh, in all. The total value of the goodie bag for the nominees, $100,000. So there was also uh, some alcohol, skincare items. There were actually some toys, you know, a lot of things. And uh, companies pay to have their items in the goodie bags because they get promotion, because people like me talk about that. But, uh, wow, that's I think if uh, the Academy really wants to punish Will Smith for what he did, take away his goodie bag. That's... Forget about taking away the Oscar. The Oscar is only worth like what four or five hundred bucks. Uh, take away his goodie bag, a hundred k worth of stuff, and uh, that'll get the point across. There you go. So the uh, FDA has authored uh, has authorized a fourth COVID nineteen vaccine for those who are fifty and up. Fourth. So you had the two original doses. In the initial inoculation. And then you had the booster. And now here comes another booster. Until this point, the fourth dose had only been approved for those with weakened immune systems. Now, uh, the FDA is saying anyone 50 and up can or should get a uh, another dose of either the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. The CDC is expected to weigh in and make recommendations as to who should seek their fourth dose immediately. Uh, two vaccine doses and a booster still provide strong protection against COVID-19, they say, but the fourth one is out there. And I can hear a lot of people saying, man, when will this ever end? We got to get another booster. We got another booster. Is it? Well, wait a minute. I saw this and initially that was my first reaction as well. And then remember... They were saying a long time ago that this would probably be an annual booster. Like you get your annual flu shot, there would be an annual COVID-19 vaccine because this will continue to evolve and mutate and, and so on, much like the, like the seasonal flu. And uh, eventually, uh, there's speculation that they will make that an all-in-one shot. You get your seasonal flu and COVID-19 booster all at one time. And it'll just kind of fade into the background. It'll be just something that we do moving forward. But in the meantime, uh, that is out there. Uh, speaking of the pandemic, though, this I thought was kind of interesting. A number of allergists are now saying that if you suffer from spring allergies, we're coming into that season, you may already have a secret weapon in fighting that. Uh, Dr. Purvi Parikh is an allergist and immunologist suggests that face masks, the much maligned face masks, can help alleviate springtime allergies. Um, they help with those airborne allergens, allergens, your uh, nose and your mouth 
being covered, you are less likely to breathe in pollen, mold, animal dander, dust mites, and all of those things that trigger allergies. Which I thought was kind of interesting because, again, the narrative during the pandemic was that we didn't wear the mask to protect ourselves. We wore the mask to protect others from us, much the way a surgeon wears a mask to protect the patient in the operating room. You go in for surgery, the surgeon wears a mask. And it's not because he's worried about catching your broken leg. <laughs> it's because, uh, you know, the germs that that he may be carrying, that all humans carry, they don't want to uh, infect the patient. So the, the mask uh, has been framed as a way to protect others more so than yourself. But... When it comes to seasonal allergens, there is a benefit to wearing the mask and protecting you from breathing in uh, pollen and mold and animal dander and so on. Those things that trigger allergies. So a common spring allergen being the pollen created by trees and grass and weeds. And that's those particles, I guess, are bigger than your virus particles. So you mask does provide some measure of... Uh, so there you go. Just when you thought you could throw away the mask, don't if you have spring allergies. I'm going to keep that handy. Uh, a couple of other interesting stories. I thought it is no secret that the way we drive is changing. The rise of electric vehicles, for example, is one development. Another is the fact that only 18% of Americans now know how to drive a stick shift. Only 18%. There's only, I think, a, a couple of vehicle models now that are even produced as manual transmissions because you have these electronic braking systems and, uh, you know, these smart braking systems and smart cruise control systems and, you know, self-driving vehicles. And those systems don't work with manual transmission vehicles. You have to have an automatic transmission to allow a lot of these electronic components to work. And so they just don't make stick shifts anymore as a result only 18 percent according to u.s news and world report 18 percent of americans know how to drive a stick shift uh, back in 1980 about 35 percent of all cars in america were manual transmissions fast forward today and that number is just one percent so interesting i guess it's not a surprise you know the other thing uh, that most people don't know how to do is uh crank start a car <laughs> You know, you, you lament the fact that people don't know how to drive a stick, but they don't need to anymore. Just like we don't need to hand crank a vehicle to get it started anymore. I don't know how to do that. I've never done it. Big deal, I guess, really, when you think about it. And uh, how about some good news? I love this story. A therapy dog from Ohio is the next Cadbury bunny. The candy company announced that Annie Rose, an English doodle from Cincinnati, has been selected as this year's Cadbury Bunny in the uh, company's Easter egg commercials. Uh, Annie Rose was uh, Annie Rose works as a therapy dog visiting nursing homes in the Cincinnati area. She will get the starring role as the Cadbury Bunny in this year's commercial. Will also be inducted into the Cadbury Bunny Hall of Fame. So there you go. That is some good news right there. Congratulations to Annie Rose. Some of the first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly cloudy, windy today, high of 72. Rainy and windy tonight, low of 54. A Hancock County man learned how much time he'll be spending behind bars after previously being convicted of an intimidation charge involving a deputy with the sheriff's office. 52-year-old Ronald Dean Lauk of Arlington was also facing a charge of felonious assault, but he was found not guilty of that charge. The intimidation charge he was found guilty of also came with a firearm specification. At his sentencing hearing, Lauk received two years for the intimidation charge and the mandatory three years for the firearm for a total of five years. Get more on the case on the website. Independent map makers had been working on Ohio's new House and Senate maps, but Republicans on the Ohio Redistricting Commission decided to pass maps that are nearly the same as ones previously rejected as unconstitutional by the Ohio Supreme Court. 
The Republican members of the commission say these maps were drafted after it was determined that the independent map makers would not have enough time to finish by the Ohio Supreme Court's midnight deadline. These maps are similar to the February 24th maps that were struck down by the court as being unconstitutional, but slight changes were made. ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. Governor DeWine says the state is working to strike a deal with an electric vehicle battery company that will create nearly 1,200 new jobs. The Dayton Daily News reports that SemCorp Manufacturing could generate $73 million in annual payroll if the company establishes a manufacturing presence in Shelby County, less than an hour north of Dayton. The Ohio Department of Development said SemCorp makes separator film used within lithium-ion batteries. The company's main focus is within the electric vehicle battery market. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Buffalo Trading Company and Buffalo Cartridge of Finley are gathering goods for a relief effort for the people of Ukraine. Ken Cooper says Project Help Now gets supplies to the people who need it as quickly as possible. We are absolutely contributing to saving lives over there, and we feel blessed to be in this spot and bring the, the opportunity to the community. Learn more about the effort and how you can help out on the website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning focusing on concussions. So we talk about uh, sports-related concussions and head injuries all the time. But certainly there are any number of activities, particularly that we engage in in the spring and summertime, that can lead to similar injuries. And this morning, talk about what you need to know as we all become more active again with the warmer weather approaching. Dr. Michael Stump is with us from Blanchard Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. And certainly it is important to, you know, make people aware of the risk of injury in contact sports and so on. But have we maybe been a little guilty of over-focusing so much on that that we forget that there are so many other ways that we can injure ourselves as well? Yes, we. While we do see a lot of injuries in, in football and hockey, things like that, we mm-hmm. typically think of. But we can see head injuries from bike, biking, from skateboarding. Um, we can see it in horseback riding, um, you know, or motor vehicle accidents. There's lots of different ways that we we see concussions that aren't necessarily related to a competitive sport. And uh, even beyond just leisure activities, I know obviously spring and summer months are a big time for like home improvements and and uh, things like that. Uh, you know, these are uh, any types of activities you can end up uh, hurting yourself. So, what are uh, the the things that we should know about recognizing if a bump on the head is something more than just a bump on the head? Well, the the biggest thing to watch for are, are potential symptoms. And while headache is the most common, we can get a headache from you know just a, a bruise to the scalp or a, a goose egg. Mm-hmm. But in particular, we look at for headaches that are worsened by light or sound or concentration or thinking. And also we look at dizziness and sometimes sleep disturbances or difficulty with memory, or just not able to do the things that we normally would do from a concentration standpoint. You know, it's interesting, again, as we relate back to the concern over concussions in uh, organized sports, the law in Ohio is that those who are involved, uh, adults who are involved in in youth sports as coaches, as referees, and so on, uh, have to take a, a course on recognizing the signs and symptoms of concussions, and I have taken that course, and one of the things that they emphasize, two things, and I think they uh, it's interesting, they emphasize in that course that are worth, worth knowing as we talk about concussions just for general activities, number one, you can have a concussion and not really show uh, signs, outward signs, immediately. Yes, yeah, it, you know, a lot of people think that you have to have a loss of consciousness mm-hmm. with a concussion, and that's actually about 90% of concussions do not have a loss of consciousness. And yes, that while classically those symptoms are going to show up right away, um, it can develop over a couple-hour period of time or even maybe even the next day. 
but the the important thing is that to recognize that okay this is more than just a bump on the head and that we need to make sure that anyone who thinks they might have a concussion gets seen by their healthcare provider and that's the other point that they emphasize in those, those uh, training courses is that uh, recognizing the signs and symptoms is not a substitute for a medical diagnosis uh, that uh, just observing uh, one's behavior, uh, your own or someone else's, is not necessarily enough to diagnose whether someone has a concussion or not. So how do we know when it is time to see the doctor? Well, basically, anytime that you suspect a concussion, it's recommended to see a physician mm-hmm. or other healthcare provider because there are a lot of uh, things that we can do to help speed the recovery faster than just sitting, you know, waiting for the, the brain to heal on its own. Mm-hmm. And there's also the concerns that is it something worse than a concussion that might need more uh, aggressive treatment. Uh, that is a good point, that it may even be more serious than a concussion, not that a concussion is not serious. And uh, again, in the meantime, what do people do if there's any uh, possibility that there's a, a bump on the head, that it uh, you know got a little knot or whatever. I, I know the classic thing when, when we were younger is uh, mom would always say, okay, don't go to sleep. We're going to watch you very uh, closely over the next uh, six or seven or eight hours or what have you. Is that generally good advice for someone who has had a, a bump on the head of any kind? In general, we've, we do recommend watching for, a, for maybe two to three hours, mm-hmm. but um, actually, they've shown that the practice of not letting them sleep or waking them up every one to two hours to check on them overnight slows recovery. Hmm. And so if once we're beyond that two to three hour period, if there isn't a significant worsening of symptoms or they're not throwing up, then it's fine to let them sleep and it's probably better to let them sleep. And what does that recovery process look like in general? And again, I, I know that can be different depending on the exact diagnosis, but it, it, generally speaking, what does that look like and how long is that recovery time? Well, we used to recommend a lot of rest and would take people out of most of their activities, um, say that you know they shouldn't do their sport, they shouldn't go to school, they shouldn't go to work mm-hmm. and get a lot of sleep. And we found that that slows down recovery. And now we're taking a much more active approach in which we're allowing people to do activities up until it starts to worsen their symptoms. And then they stop. And then the next day they try to do the same activity again, and, but try to do it a little longer. And so we're, we're, it's a challenge sometimes to, to figure out that great balance Mm. on doing the right amount of activity versus too much or too little getting that sweet spot there it sounds as though uh, it's uh, like physical therapy for the brain not unlike you would uh, have a physical rehab for a a bruised shoulder or an injured knee or something like that that's exactly what it is that we try to find activities that do worsen the symptoms but then you know practicing those but to a point, and then and trying to increase that each day. And it is exactly like you described. It's basically rehab for the brain. Yeah. Uh, so again, to uh, circle back to where we started in relating this to the uh, emphasis on concussions in sports, the main message here is that there are any number of activities, uh, leisure activities. Um, like we said, you could, you know, fall down or bonk your head as you're uh, you know doing your home improvement or your lawn work or whatever it might happen to be all of these activities can result in concussions and like with sports the the worst thing you can do is try to p- play through the pain as it were exactly right if if you're doing continuing to do activities that worsen the symptoms or Actually, the the worst situation would be if you continue to do something that would allow you to get another head injury on top of the first one, mm-hmm. then that can make the recovery much longer. We can turn a, a injury that may take two or three weeks to resolve into something that takes four to six months 
Yeah. And that's a big thing we want to avoid, getting that second potential injury. A lot of uh, stuff for, for folks to keep in mind as we all become more active again as spring and summer weather approaches. Again, Dr. Michael Stump, Blanchard Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine with us this morning. Dr. Stump, thanks very much for the info. We appreciate it. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, we have a, a link up on our webpage for more information on uh, recognizing the signs and symptoms of concussions, what to do, what not to do, uh, all linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. So we were talking about this yesterday morning, last night, the uh, Blanchard Valley Center, their uh, big annual celebrity basketball game, kind of a culmination of the uh, celebration, the observance of Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month in the month of March. And uh, joining us is uh, Nadine Weininger, Quality Services Manager, Blanchard Valley Center, uh, the Hancock County Board of uh, Developmental Disabilities. Nadine, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. Uh, great, uh, great event, as always a lot of fun for all of the participants i know i've i've participated in this didn't get the chance to this year but uh, have done uh, this in the past and it's an awful lot of fun for the kids as well yes thank you so much for having me in this morning um last night was pretty much the culmination of march being developmental disabilities awareness month and i couldn't be more proud of our community coming together last night um there are a few times actually that i kind of choked up because it was very it was overwhelming yeah um after two years of not being able to do this it was very exciting to get back out there and bring everyone together i know people are always looking forward to that event um but we had about 400 people i believe in attendance Mm. we had about um 26 people on each team uh community members on top of our special olympics athletes we had special olympics cheerleaders macomb joined us um, Finley High School cheerleaders. We had Pantasia Band playing. University awesome. of Finley bl- Band was playing along with their twirlers. It was great. Yeah, a terrific uh, event uh, for the community to come together. And this is all part of the idea of Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month to raise, as we were saying, raising understanding and acceptance to kind of take the fear out of those words, developmental disabilities. Absolutely. We just want to promote inclusion within Hancock County. And last night, you could see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- I, th- I don't think our job, is, our mission is ever complete. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're empowering people to live their lives to the fullest extent, and we are here to provide resources and supports to allow them to do that. And, la- you know, last night, it was just a way of bringing everyone together. It was phenomenal. It just yeah. really was. To, so- to see that support from our community, it's phenomenal. We have come uh, a long way in terms of recognizing the uh, contributions and the abilities of those with developmental disabilities. Absolutely. What is the biggest challenge that you still have? I would say that um, maybe community employment, I would say, uh, you know, allowing people to kind of take that risk, um, having that, ex- you know, they don't, they might not have a lot of experience. So letting mm-hmm. them jump in and, you know, a lot of times there's a chance for them to have job coaches. Uh, just take, take that leap of faith. Yeah. You know, that would be my message to employers, especially now, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we have individuals who are looking for employment. There's a crisis out a there right now. A lot of jobs open. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. take that leap of faith. We have support that we can provide for employers mm-hmm. in that aspect. And I, I, Take that chance. Yeah, um, because one of the things, it's interesting you bring that up, because one of the things I wanted to mention to make sure that, that we emphasize is that when we talk about the uh, Board of Deve- Development of Disabilities, think about the Blanchard Valley Center. It is more than just a school for school-age children. There is a continuum of care yes. uh, for uh, those uh, with DD in the community throughout the their entire lifetime. Yes. So we start as early as in utero. Uh, Our early intervention team uh, works with children zero to three through through the age of two to three. Mm -hmm. And we have our preschool. We have our school age. Um, Our school is small, but it's intended to be that way. We want to integrate students into their homeschool districts as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So the children that are at our school are with the higher needs because that's kind of what we're specializing in at this point. And then, of course, we help them with transition age, which is when they start learning job skills, um, 
you know, socialization, how to work with people in the community, depending on, you know, maybe their disability, what those barriers are for them. And then continuing to be with them through the rest of their life as long as they need us. Yeah, Uh, because, and it was interesting because we were talking before we went uh, on the air, one of the reasons why I wasn't able to be there uh, last night is uh, I had to uh, be with my dad who was getting a little bit uh, up there in age. And it got me to thinking that obviously for those uh, individuals within the community who need that special care, family is not always going to be there or be able to provide that that care so someone's got to step in uh to to provide that on down the line absolutely and that's a great segue into discussing our smart house we just recently had a ribbon cutting last friday uh for our our smart house which is developed it's equipped with all of this assistive and remote technology and a lot of families are very hesitant and nervous to allow their you know, adult child go and live independently. Mm-hmm. But the smart house is equipped for people to go in, trial it, see if it's going to work for them so that they can live independently. So when mom and dad do pass, mom and dad are good to go. You know, they don't have that worry anymore. They have yeah. that peace of mind knowing my adult will, my adult child will be able to live independently or have some kind of supports after they pass. Yeah. And, and all of this comes back to support within the community as well. And again, as we started, we're talking about raising understanding and raising acceptance within the community as a whole. We had this story in the news yesterday, and I know this wasn't necessarily a, a BBC or a, a DD board uh, event. Uh, I think it was at Glenwood where they had the um, demonstrations where they helped kids understand the challenges that those with disabilities face. And like I said, I know that wasn't uh, your event, but things like that uh, can only help to break down those barriers. Oh, yeah. I think recognizing the barriers that are out there for people with DD only allows us as the community to be able to support them better, you know, and it it is legitimately as simple as when you see somebody, you know, going past you that maybe you identify some, you know, that they have a disability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not telling your kid, you know, don't point or don't stare. It's simply just going up and saying, hi, how are you? Just yeah. like we would and to anyone else. You know, one of the things that that I find, and, and maybe you can speak to this, is that walking that fine line between acceptance and patronization sure you know what i mean um because you don't want to speak down to individuals uh or or minimize them uh you want to include them at their level but sometimes that's hard to know what that is sure yeah and and i think people i think people with dd realize that sometimes because there are varying levels um you know dependent on their disability they may have an intellectual disability they may have a developmental disability um, two different things correct which is important to recognize yes kind of hard to yeah so just because somebody may be in a wheelchair doesn't mean that they have an intellectual disability mm-hmm. and so there is that you know they that misconception that maybe they do yeah so it's it's just realizing like just go into it you know don't assume anything i guess yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, again, uh, March being Developmental Disabilities Awareness Month, Nadine Weininger is with us uh, from Blanchard Valley Center. As we mentioned, one of the biggest things that a uh, community uh, can do to embrace uh, this uh, segment of the community is to provide opportunities. Right now, as you said, is a, a perfect example where uh, a lot of employers are looking for good help. How does, how does one get started in uh, being a part of helping those with developmental disabilities integrate in that way in the community? You know, just contact our office or visit us, um, Blanche Valley Center. We're out on Sandusky Street near uh, Litter Landing. Mm-hmm. So if you just want to come out and meet or call us, and we have several departments that will guide you on whatever you're looking for. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information. Uh, Nadine, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Here's another uh, case, and it, it we've had an, a rash of these, an outbreak of these, in the broken news of late, the past uh, several months. A mistaken identity sort of story. Police in Texas, uh, Converse, Texas, got a a surprise after being called out to the scene where uh, there was a reported 
uh, sighting of skeletal remains. They, you get a call. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big call, right? There's somebody who goes. There's skeletal remains, human skeletal remains, uh, out by the side of the road. Turns out that the remains were actually just a plastic prop skeleton that had been discarded in a field <laughs> on the side of a road. <laughs> Just a plastic, like Halloween uh, decoration that had been discarded. Authorities noted that the prop was was removed and given a proper burial. <laughs> I mean, all's well that ends well. I'm sure that they were relieved that it wasn't actual human skeletal remains. But uh, how realistic would it have would it have looked? Apparently, it was much smaller than a regular human being would be. So. It, it's a little surprising that somebody mistook that for actual skeletal remains, but all's well that ends well. A, a New Hampshire woman uh, said her family was uh, faced with an unusual problem uh, the other day. Melissa Champ, uh, Champney of uh, Grafton, New Hampshire, said she and her husband awoke late Saturday night to a loud sound that seemed to be coming from inside their home. They thought, oh no, we've got a burglar in the house. Turned out, she looks out the dining room window and there was a really big bear stuck on the enclosed porch of their home. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, she said the, the bear seemed to be eating the porch. It was just ransacking the place. Uh, the uh, door to the mudroom, the uh, enclosed porch, she said they sometimes leave the door a bit ajar so that the couple's cats can come and go as they please. But the bear apparently noticed the open door. I don't know, it was uh, hungry or just curious and somehow shut the door behind him when he came in. So the bear was trapped on the porch and couldn't get out and was just wrecking the place <laughs> trying to get out. Uh Ms. Champney posted photos on Facebook showing the damage wrought by what she described as the worst house guest ever. So then, of course, after you pretty much trashed the porch, the question becomes, how do you get the bear out? She said her husband climbed out a window uh, in the house to walk around to the porch to open the door to the, uh, the porch so that the bear could escape. That's one brave guy right there. I don't know... I would have I would have done that. But uh, as the uh, bear lumbered off uh, after being able to uh, get off the uh, get off the porch and they just uh, are left with a big cleanup job. Crazy. Uh, Speaking of animal stories in the uh, broken news, a bird at the Tampa Zoo is alive and well, thanks to what one veterinarian calls an absolutely amazing collaborative project. 25-year-old Great Indian Hornbill named Crescent developed skin cancer on uh, on her upper beak. And um, doctors, engineers, and employees at, U- at USF, University of South Florida, used a 3D printer to make a prosthetic beak for the bird. Veterinarian tells... Local news reporters that Crescent is responding well. Uh, she is uh, still on public display with her prosthetic beak at the zoo. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty cool. Uh, I like that story. Always it's good to have a happy story in the uh, broken news. Because so often we have just dumb criminals and, and stuff like that. Although sometimes it is not the criminals who are acting badly. It's the cops. In Georgia... A uh, police officer, a Millen, Georgia police officer by the name of uh, Larry Thompson, figured he found the perfect spot for a secret midday rendezvous, but instead found himself and his partner the stars of a viral TikTok video. <laughs> the officer took his SWAT squad car to what he thought was a secluded area off a quiet road in the small town of Millen, Georgia. And uh, started uh, getting amorous with uh, his lady friend while in uniform. (laughs) What he failed to notice was someone high up in a nearby cell tower who was working on the uh, tower 
and happened to see what was going on, filmed the whole incident, and then uploaded the videos to TikTok, where they quickly quickly racked up more than 15 million views. Um, it turns out that Officer Thompson has a long record of misconduct. This isn't the first time that he's been in trouble. Um, apparently, in 2019... He accidentally discharged his weapon, shooting a fellow officer in the arm. Uh, Then in 2020, a woman with whom he had been in a relationship contacted Millen police to accuse him of harassing her. Uh, He was suspended for a time for that incident. This latest one has uh, has left him looking for a new job. So. That's not always the criminals. Sometimes it's the police themselves are behaving badly. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is certainly good news. Uh, The annual pillow fight in Washington Square Park in New York City is back. After a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic, New Yorkers can once again bring their pillows to the park and swing away at others with their pillows. It'll happen on April 16th. Uh, Back in 2019, during the last pillow fight, Mattress Firm provided pillows for anyone who made donations to the local foster child program. Those taking part this year are asked to bring a soft pillow, swing it lightly during the fight, and only strike those who are also taking part in the event. (laughs) Watch for the innocent bystanders. But you know the pandemic is over when the Washington Square Park pillow fight is back on in New York City. There you go. Uh, That is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. (sighs) Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. You know, even before the pandemic, there had been a lot of discussion about what the uh, classroom of the future, the school classroom of the 21st century should look like. It's a time to think out of the box and uh, maybe look at the way kids learn and what's best for students. You know, during the pandemic, there was talk that maybe this remote learning thing might work its way into the standard classroom structure, maybe three days in person and two days online or something like that. And in some areas, they've even been looking at a four day school week, which certainly sounds like a good idea from a student's perspective, perhaps. But a recent study by a team at Oregon State University finds that making three-day weekends the norm would be bad news for children's grades. The authors of the study found that high schoolers participating in a four-day school week performed worse on a series of standardized math tests than their peers who were on the typical five-day schedule. Now, I don't know the exact numbers here, how much worse they performed, but what was interesting is that scores, number one, scores dropped even more among students attending non-rural schools. So less of a drop-off in rural districts than in urban districts, but the impact only seemed to impact math grades. Students across both conditions, four-day versus five-day week, both displayed roughly the same reading scores. So it didn't affect reading, just, just math. The idea of switching to a four-day week has increasingly picked up steam in both schools and offices nationwide in recent years. Um, many would argue that an extra day off helps workers and students alike perform and learn at a higher level the rest of the week. You know, when they are in the classroom and whether this says anything about workers, I don't know. But specifically with respect to students, 
Advocates of the four-day school week say the schedule is also uh, very attractive for teachers because it gives them more time to work on the administrative side of their jobs. It also can help adjust for students' extracurricular activities, which any parent, any family knows that can get rather hectic. Uh, juggling classroom and homework and extracurriculars and all of that. And they uh, also say, advocates also say it helps in cutting overall costs for a school district. And so there's always the money, the financial component to that. But at what cost in terms of students' grades? Before you know it, it is going to be uh, nicer weather out there and a great time to come out of hibernation, get to the parks. Um, have to apologize. Uh, we had a, a bit of a, a mix up on our uh, schedule here. Uh, somehow we were uh, planning on uh, talking with uh, Michelle Rumschlag, the Hancock Park District, about uh, April programs and activities. And uh, apparently not, uh, we are not on the same page uh, as Michelle. But uh, they, we do have on our webpage a link up for uh, all of the uh, information uh, about April uh, programs and activities. Uh, they have uh, all kinds of uh, stuff for kids and, uh, and the entire family. Um, I'm just looking uh, here uh, over the, uh, the list here, and I cannot do this justice compared to uh, the way Michelle knows uh, everything that's uh, that's going on. But they do have a, a number of things going on in uh, the month of April. The full list of uh, programs is posted on the uh, Hancock Park District website. We have that linked up at our webpage at uh, goodmornings.net. So you can uh, check that out. You can also look ahead to uh, the month of May. And uh, I know that it won't be uh, long before they're uh, starting to think about summer camps, too. So uh, getting uh, toward that uh, time of the year. And uh, so that'll all be uh, posted there. Of course, uh, as we get into the warmer weather, people looking at reserving uh, shelter houses and reserving some of the facilities uh, at the parks. You can do that uh, on the uh, website uh, sooner rather than later is a good idea, especially right now, I would imagine. I mean, being cooped up for the past couple of years, we want to get out, want to do things just like everything else. Uh, those are going to fill up uh, rather quickly. But uh, again, go to uh, the Hancock Park District website, HancockParks.com. We've got all of that uh, information linked up there. So you can uh, check that out online. And uh, apologies uh, to Michelle and the uh, crew at the uh, Hancock Park District for uh, the uh, mix-up on, uh, on the dates. Um we were mentioning a little bit earlier, speaking of getting out and getting active again, we were talking just a little while ago about the risk of concussion with a lot of these spring and summer activities, whether we're talking leisure activities uh, beyond just sports or even you know home improvement season. <laughs> it's pretty easy or, or, you know, working in the lawn. It's, uh, you know, working in your backyard. Uh, it can be easy to uh, have an accident that may lead to a head injury. We're talking about a concussion. One of the other uh, very common things that you find this time of year uh, are the cuts and scrapes that come along with all of the spring and summer activities. And this is something worth noting from an emergency room physician, Dr. Michael Dignalt, I think is how he pronounces his name, uh, is making it his mission to let folks know that those minor scrapes and cuts, many of us have been treating wrong all along. There is a deeply held misperception, he says, that uh, holds true across multiple generations that you should put hydrogen peroxide on a wound to help disinfect it and keep it, you know, keep it from getting infected. Uh, that is a medical myth. Uh, Dr. D says um, in a, a piece that he recently wrote uh, says the underlying inaccurate consensus seems to be that uh, you put the hydrogen peroxide on and then the level of fizz that it generates uh, equates to how well the wound is cleaned. Not true. While hydrogen peroxide does ha indeed have known antiseptic 
uh, antiseptic properties, it may actually be doing more harm than good when it comes to care of simple wounds, uh, those uh, scrapes and cuts and so on. The issue is that while peroxide can help clean, it does not know the difference between bacteria cells and your own your body's own cells that are helping to heal the wound. So instead of helping, you could actually be causing corrosive tissue damage by applying it to your wound, impairing the healing process. You're actually doing the exact opposite of what you hope to do. And you could even be irreversibly worsening the scarring process, the scarring process. Because, well, I know for some of us, you know, we like to have a scar. It's like a battle wound. But most of us uh, want to minimize that process. And this could, again, be having the opposite effect. The take-home message, he says, don't clean your wounds with hydrogen peroxide or any other caustic first aid antiseptics, such as rubbing alcohol. Instead, just use clean water to uh, gently rinse out the wound and then apply a small amount of antibiotic cream, the triple antibiotic cream that you can get in in, uh, stores over the counter, and then cover it with a clean dressing. And it's as simple as that. Now, of course... That's for small cuts and scrapes. For larger wounds, obviously, you seek medical attention. But uh, for smaller cuts and scrapes and so on of of spring and summer, uh, peroxide, not a good idea. So, busting a myth there. Now you know. That puts a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, do you know that most Americans spend more time researching the purchase of a household appliance than they do in choosing a doctor? We have tips to make you as smart a shopper for health care as you are for consumer goods. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.